Welcome to the IP Physics Buzz, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. I'm Ed Orley. And I'm Scott Hogue. On the show, we discuss all things IPv6, strategy, design, deployment, and operations. And I'm Tom Coffeen. We've spent 20 plus years working with the IPv6 protocol. We run a consulting firm where we get IPv6 working for our customers. And we're here to share some lessons learned on how to avoid common mistakes. Today, we're going to talk about internet reconnaissance and IPv6. Yeah, I think people, when they first learn about IPv6 and the vastness of the address space, they think to themselves, well, it's impossible for an attacker to find a target, a victim, to even send a packet to or do probing, you know, and jiggle doorknobs and see if there's some weak system out there to attack. You get the sense, you know, that it's, it's immense. How would you ever find another device wandering through, you know, space. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And I mean, you know, even just starting with the, the smallest, really, I don't want to say legal, but smallest advisable prefix that you assign to an interface, which is a slash 64, which of course, with 64 bits of interface identification, uh, you've got 1.8 times 10 to the 19th addresses. Yeah, it, it would take you a long time. <laughs> uh, if you're on the local network, if the attacker is on the same network as other nodes, it's actually trivial for that attacker to find other devices on the local network. There's a variety of of techniques. You know, you could just send different types of multicast packets. Right. The attacker could simply just listen for neighbor solicitations, neighbor advertisements, listen for you know, different types of multicast messages that a node might be sending on the local network. And so it's easy to find other nodes without having to do brute force scanning, but the attacker has to be on the local network. Yeah, exactly. It's It seems more difficult if the attacker is far away, scanning you from across the internet. And let's say your organization was allocated a, a slash 32 prefix, you know, a default kind of prefix or even larger, well, those even the networks are sparsely distributed in that amount of address space. To even find those slash 64s seems daunting. Yeah, that's right. Well, in your articles, I mean, it's interesting because there's there's a fair amount of pretty detailed research that you're covering in your articles, it, but the focus doesn't really seem to be on what we're talking about. It, it's mm-hmm. really more the internet at large. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about like what you cover in those articles. We'll post links so people can read them themselves. They're quite interesting. But uh, but what's what what's really involved in the research if it's not you know figuring out how to scan slash sixty fours on your local enterprise network? So there's been many you know security demonstrations and YouTube videos and presentations showing you know link local reconnaissance and showing how that's trivial. Uh, what's come about in the recent, I'd say, decade is a lot of academic papers that are finding creative approaches to remote reconnaissance, so internet-based reconnaissance, uh, and and different techniques of generating probing packets to depth find and and eke out and you know search out paths across the internet to find certain destinations or or address space that is usable or being used and to create scanning traffic or probe traffic of a certain type that elicits a response that might reveal that there's something there. And then also there's academic papers that have 
analyzed the entropy or how often addresses might be used or how common IPv6 address planning techniques may put certain hex digits as values and use that to kind of precog the addresses that might be used. In a sense, you, you're you predicting what right. addresses might be used in a certain block and then using the probe packets then to confirm or deny that. And then also using a combination of those techniques to predetermine or guess, predict what addresses might be used, send probe packets, get the response, iterate on that, and then you know cycle through that to then find more and more precise, longer prefixes. Right. So that's kind of the technique. And so there's different tech, different academic papers that describe different techniques of sending different types of probe packets and creating what's called a target generation algorithm uh, to create and pre predict what addresses might be used. And the combination of those two interacting together in a, in a little feedback loop reveals what's out there on the internet. And do we get the sense that uh, that these techniques are already being used by malefactors, or is it is it really more just like you know that we're we're showing what's the the research is showing what's possible and possible threat vectors that you know need to be prepared for? But is that you get the sense from anything that you've read or observed that you know that these types of threats are actually uh, being applied? Yeah, in fact, there are you know, security groups that analyze the scanning traffic that comes to them and analyzing the source addresses of where that traffic originates from, who is who is doing the scanning and who is being scanned. And um, so organizations like well, Shadow Server or uh, even Akamai, they observe the scanning traffic and they're able to go back and say, well, who originated this traffic? What is the source address? of the scanning and who's doing that scanning and where are they coming from. And so there have been observations of this large scale scanning uh, that is occurring. If you're a home user, a residential broadband internet user, you kind of get this feeling like, oh no, if I, I have this slash 64 that's been allocated from the service provider's address, could someone reach me, you know, inside of my router? And they could if your home router is built in such a way that it is non-stateful. It would allow the inbound connections. And there are examples of certain operating systems that are not stateful. Or you, an attacker could send a packet to, let's say, the, the subnet anycast address, so colon, colon, all zeros, mm -hmm. and get the device to cough up something. Or if there are CPE devices that use EUI64 as their method of assigning their interface identifier, and then the attacker could then maybe ascertain the manufacturer and knows that certain manufacturers are weak, then they can do reconnaissance and maybe, or if you had a mobile phone that was also not stateful, and, and it, but yet it was doing tethering, Right. Attacker could send a packet and then identify the other networks that might be behind that phone that are being shared uh, and those slash 64s. So that's one aspect. And you're limited by your CPE device, how it's built and if it's stateful and if it's blocking those kind of probe packets. 
if you're an enterprise network, you have perimeter firewalls, you have routers with, you should have routers with IPv6 access lists that prevent certain kind of probe packets. You can also use reputation filtering to prevent this scanning traffic from the known scanners uh, out on the IPv6 internet. So in an enterprise network, you're more likely to have stateful filtering at your internet perimeter to prevent unsolicited inbound scanning traffic that would prevent anybody from probing any deeper into your network topology inside your network. Thanks for being a Packet Pushers listener. Did you know we've got other IT-related shows you might want to check out, like Heavy Wireless? Heavy Wireless is a deep dive into Wi-Fi, IoT, wireless security, and more. It's hosted by Keith Parsons. He brings decades of experience to conversations with wireless engineers, industry experts, and vendors. So whether you're a YLAN specialist already or looking to expand your skill sets, Heavy Wireless gives you the technical know-how and industry insights to succeed. Find it at PacketPushers.net or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you feel like the CPE manufacturers or vendors have, have really stepped up in terms of providing enough V6 security on the devices? I, I know in many cases, it's a question of like, it, is it enabled by default or is, you know, is there on on the, the, the web interface of whatever your CPE devices that you're configuring, you know, maybe there's some checkboxes related to V6 security, but there's not a whole lot of tweakability. Do you get the sense that the, that there's a general weakness in the CPE market in this area or is, is IPv6 security kind of, you know, more like approaching a level of maturity that that home users don't have to think you know worry about it too much not that they will anyway but i'm just saying uh you know based on where the cpe or cpe devices are at today yeah i think well there's two rfcs that come to mind for cpe devices one is rfc 7084 which is basic requirements for ipv6 customer edge routers and that one just says you know, the router, the CP device should act as a, a router. It should use, uh, you know, DHCP v6. It should do prefix delegation. It should then act as a router and do IPv6 forwarding. Uh, but then there's another, you know, auxiliary uh, RFC called recommended simple security capabilities for CP devices for providing residential IPv6 internet service. And that RFC number is 6092. And that is an RFC that says, well, we want these devices to be stateful. We want them to, uh, to behave in a way that they do allow the outbound connections. They pay attention to TCP state information. Uh, they remove entries from the state table when connections are, are terminated and, uh, and prevent that unsolicited inbound uh, scanning traffic. For the basic requirements RFC, simple security is a should, not a must. Hmm. And so a vendor could create a product that is that meets RFC 7084, the basic requirements, doesn't do the simple security functions, and then their product is tested by a testing laboratory and gets a seal of approval like, hey, yeah, this product is great. It supports IPv6. Unknowing customer buys that product, assumes that it's going to be stateful, kind of like what they expect their NAT 4.4 to do for their V4 traffic, and turns out it doesn't. And so it's, so I would say, because that was a, a should, not a must, that leaves, you know, opportunities for manufacturers of CPE devices to create weak devices. Um, and that leaves the consumer, uh, the subscriber hanging. Yeah. And we haven't had, 
a chance lately on V6 on IPv6 Buzz to talk to some folks from the uh, the broadband side of the house because I'd be curious, like sort of you know where their help desk uh, interacts with customers that might be having issues that could potentially be tied to V6 security because of a you know shabby CPE deployment. Mm -hmm. um, is the recommendation still there? Well, you know, let's just go ahead and turn off IPv6 to solve this particular problem. And whether or not that sort of data then, you know, finds its way back to the CPE vendor to, to hey, fix your stuff so that this is not an issue and, and home users can get the advantages of running IPv6 without potential security risks. I'd be curious to see what, uh, what the, where the, the state of the state is on that. Yeah, I, I don't know across all the, you know, manufacturers of, of CPE devices. There's so many. I, I haven't, yeah, there's so many. Uh, but I do know a few of those that don't do <laughs> the simple security, use the UI64, don't do simple security, allow probing to be done past the WAN interface towards the internal network to discover that. Right. And the way that discovery, that probe packets are, are sent is usually by setting the hop limit by by four and then setting the hop limit by five and then setting the hop limit by six and then kind of increasing the hop limit as you send these probe packets and essentially doing depth finding. And then you, fi and then you find a device, you find a CPE device, you send it another probe packet with an extra hop limit added and then the CPE kicks back a response that reveals that internal at a prefix. And so any packet that an attacker or security researcher can send that elicits a response reveals that there's something there. And so it's about tricking the device into coughing up its its internal address or other addresses and things like that. So the security researchers and these attackers are are finding devices, responsive devices out on the internet and and they're putting them on what they call an IPv6 hit list where attackers may have their own private lists of responsive addresses. And they'll probe those addresses, those millions and millions of responsive devices on the internet. They'll, they'll probe them and make connections to them over SSH or, or different, you know, different protocols, trying to, to find what's responsive on those addresses. And so, you can go on the web and you can go to the IPv6 hit list and you can download a hit list and look to see if your own address is in the hit list. <laughs> That's one Surprise. thing. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's the, the attackers or the researchers are using these, the IPv6, you know, hit list collection, uh, predictive scanning, uh, target generation algorithms, active scanning and probing. And it's kind of the combination of these techniques reveal that there's things out there on the internet. And we used to think that this wasn't possible, but now we're, we've got, you know, academic papers that show what could be possible. And we see that there is active scanning on the internet. Well, what else on the topic of, uh, of large scale internet reconnaissance uh, should we, should we really be exploring? I think, um, you know, for an enterprise, you really rely upon your perimeter defenses but you and I, we've seen or, or heard of enterprises thinking to themselves, well, maybe I want to create an addressing scheme that is complex in nature to prevent someone from learning my addresses, um, right? <laughs> the idea that you would obfuscate your addressing plan 
to prevent other people from finding your addresses. Yeah, that's interesting because you you know theoretically you do have enough prefix space if you're if you're right sizing your allocation request, you know based on sort of more recent trends of of having a larger initial allocation. There there could be that that sort of approach of randomizing you know using sort of a more randomized assignment of prefixes it, it, i i can't imagine any like uh, maybe i'm just not creative enough to like imagine the scenario from in a corporate it setting where that would provide any sort of value that would exceed the the immense headache of of trying to administer something like that um, but but it is it is an interesting point that that you know because of the the abundance of the space that that's even feasible which of course in before that forget it you know you've you've got uh, just a precious number of bits to carve out your precious number of host addresses and and the right number of subnets to go along with it so it just you know it's not the same yeah imagine an enterprise that got a slash thirty two allocated from their friendly neighborhood RIR and they took that and they created a 32-bit random number generator to generate random numbers for the third <laughs> and the fourth hextet and then assign slash 64s randomly for networks across the network right without any summarization or or allocating site prefixes or anything right like right this. imagine how difficult that would be what address is allocated to which network they're just random that would be so administratively difficult to maintain a network like that. <laughs> yeah, that would quite insane. And of course, we we have the the ULA prefix that's supposed to be randomized, you know, which mm -hmm. is uh, an interesting uh, a use of that same idea for different reasons. I think mm -hmm. you know to uh, to make sure there's not overlapping ULA prefix space, which of course there is in abundance. Mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. And it's uh, it's FD zero zero double colon slash forty eight. I'm sorry. FD001, you know, it's like everybody yeah. picks like the first available network and they don't even bother to do FD. It's like FC, why not? Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think that attempting to do the same thing in, in any environment that wasn't like heavily automated and you had some very, very peculiar and particular security requirements, I, I just, it's just hard to imagine something like that. Yeah, just, just a few hours ago, I was reading a Microsoft Azure document that was talking about IPv6 networking in Azure. And it was like FD001, FD02. That's right. Like, oh my God, this is not good. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that particular standard uh, very infrequently gets followed. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, have you seen other clients trying to be creative or obfuscate their address space? Or, or do you talk them off the ledge and, and <laughs> don't do make it. them realize that they can have an elegant addressing plan? The reconnaissance is going to happen no matter what. I often argue knowledge of your address is not something you can rely upon protecting you forever. Right. Someone's going to find your address. It's your you create an orbital security model or a layered security defensive, you know, protection method structure. To prevent against that, you know. Yeah, and I I haven't encountered anything uh, that that resembles what we what we're just talking about related <laughs> to like some to attempts to use randomization and prefix assignment. I you know I, I actually there was a time I think when I would include it in the list of prefix assignment you know methods uh, like along with like next available and and uh, mm -hmm. best fit and uh, sparse. 
And and then I I did I did get that nagging idea in the back of my mind that you know some intrepid network engineer security engineer is going to read this slide that's just describing random prefix allocation and they're going to get a, a wild hair as they say and just figure out how to implement it in a way that's going to drive everyone else in the organization nuts. Yeah. So I think I took that slide out of my address planning presentation. Yeah, yeah you can do like sequential you can do sparse or you can use a lava lamp to seed your random number generator and just write <laughs> random right. x digits that's the fourth option you hadn't thought of <laughs> that's right yeah that one escaped me <laughs> well it's an interesting topic and i think yeah. we've covered covered a fair amount of ground we'd love to hear from uh, from listeners that uh, that have encountered any ipv6 security issues around say prefix assignments that they've done if anybody's been brave enough to try some random prefix assignment just to uh, create a security benefit we'd, we'd love to hear about that um mm -hmm. but uh yeah i think for uh large-scale internet reconnaissance uh, I, I would really recommend folks check out your your two blogs on that on the InfoBlock Center of Excellence. Uh, really interesting and detailed a description of of some of that research and and some of the interesting findings. Yeah, really great uh, research articles and articles to people who are observing the scanning and where you can find information about the hit list or things like that. Thanks for joining us for this episode of IPv6 Buzz. If you've got feedback or a follow-up on this topic, send us a message at packetpushers.net slash FU. We'd love to hear from you and continue the conversation. Also on packetpushers.net, you'll find a range of deep dive technical podcasts for IT pros, including heavy networking, heavy wireless, and day two cloud. There's a whole lot more on the Packet Pushers site as well, such as tutorial videos and a networking job board to help you find or fill your next great role. So whether you're deep in your career or just starting up, Packet Pushers is the place to go to grow both your skills and your personal network. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the IPv6 internet. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.